All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Of course, I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of today's show for making this show financially viable. Our sponsors for the second hour are Merrick's Gold and Legend Gold. Well, it is a distinct pleasure to introduce my next guest. His name is Louis Lehrman. He was presented the National Humanities Medal at the White House in 2005 for his work in American history. He is a member of the advisory committee of the Abraham Lincoln Bicentennial Commission and the Lincoln Forum. Mr. Lehrman co-founded the Lincoln and Soldiers Institute at Gettysburg College, where he has taught the Lincoln Senior Seminar. Mr. Lehman received his B.A. degree from Yale and his M.A. From, uh, in history from Harvard. He uh, was a Carnegie Teaching Fellow in history at Yale and a Woodrow Wilson Fellow uh, in history at Harvard. Uh, Mr. Lehman is widely known for his run for Governor of New York in 1982. In 1983, uh, he was the uh, Cardinal Cook Honors of the Archdiocese of New York for the, his early work developing scholarships for New York inner city schools. He has written uh, for publications such as uh, Harper's, the the, uh, Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, National Review, and the New York Sun. He is the author of Lincoln at Peoria, The Turning Point. Now, not mentioned in that bio is the fact that Mr. Lehman is also a staunch believer in the gold standard, and that topic uh, will likely make up most of my discussion with him today, Uh, but before I speak directly with Lou. I want to play for you a recent interview that he did with uh, Maria Bartiromo on CNBC. And then following that uh, discussion and my interview uh, with Mr. Lehrman, I'm going to have Jeff Deist. Uh, he is the chief of staff for Ron Paul. He will be joining me for some commentary on, uh, on what Mr. Lehrman had to say. Listen now to the interview between Maria Bartiromo and Louis Lehrman. He is chairman of the Lehrman Institute, senior partner with Ellie Lehrman and company. He joins me now to make a case for why a dollar as good as gold can help to fix some of our biggest financial challenges. Lou, it's wonderful to have you on the program. Good to be here, Maria. So before we go into the gold standard, I want you to go through your, your theory on inflation. Talk to us about Reaganomics. Here we are talking about Reagan's policies a hundred years uh, later uh, in terms of his birthday. Uh, and uh, people are wondering what we could have learned from that era and how perhaps different policies could help in this economic landscape. What do you think? Well, Reagan uh, gave us an economy that I think almost everybody remembers who's active in the investment business or in business in general. And he had four basic policies. Uh, first was lower marginal tax rates on everybody from all walks of life to increase incentives. Second was deregulation. Third was an attempt to uh, get budgetary balance or budgetary equilibrium over the business cycle. And, and of course, the, the fourth was to restrain the Federal Reserve System to make for a, a more stable dollar. I, he made an effort at all of them, very successful in tax rate reform. 
very successful in deregulation, but we can see with the budget deficit and we can see with the fall of the dollar that in that area we have a lot of, a lot of progress to make. And many people believe that, that that low tax rate scenario also was very helpful in terms of triggering new industries and spurring a whole new innovative system, uh, particularly uh, as evidenced by Silicon Valley. Well, during the Reagan era, uh, uh, almost, 20, uh, almost 20 million jobs, just short of 20 million jobs, was created. And of course, booming business uh, depends upon people being put to work. And people going to work means more investment. So marginal tax rates were lowered so substantially by uh, President Reagan and the Congress at that time, with many Democrats collaborating, that it, it triggered a boom along with the stable dollar policy pursued by Paul Volcker. Probably uh, the last of the Federal Reserve chairman who was focused on stabilizing the dollar. Now, one of, one of the theories, one of the themes, rather, that you just mentioned is the fact that you had stability in the Fed and you had a Fed that was restrained and you would uh, have, have the government uh, keep those restraints in place. That's quite different from today, you believe, given QE2 and all of the uh, free money going on. Uh, under Paul Volcker, the, uh, the restraint was imposed with 21% interest rates. It was dr draconian credit policy. Unemployment in New York State reached 11.2% in the autumn of 1982, a year and almost two years after uh, uh, President Reagan was elected. That is not the kind of monetary policy we want to correct in in inflationary episodes, which have persisted throughout the entire decade of the 70s, the great boom and bust era, especially uh, in, the, in the oil and, and commodities market. Right now, what we need is an institutional reform. I mean, we were created as a country of laws, not of men, and institutions uh, have to be shaped so that we can make the dollar once again as good as gold. That phrase is still in the language of all Americans, but when President Reagan was born 100 years ago, the gold price was $20 an ounce. Today it is $1,400 an ounce, and the purchasing power of the dollar has literally collapsed to about 1% of its value over that period of his lifetime. So it seems to me the facts speak for themselves. We need, and the question is, how do we do it? Yeah, what let, are, let's talk about that. Okay. Because the idea of going back to a gold, or you say go forward to a forward gold. Forward to the gold standard, yeah. <laughs> and forward to a modernized gold standard. How, how do you justify that? I mean, first of all, where, just physically, thinking about it, where is all this gold kept? Well, there, Why go back to a gold standard and tell me the, the theory in terms of how this would work out and help inflationary woes? Well, in the first principle is that the dollar is defined as a weight unit of gold. And all currencies, whether they be credit balances in the bank or Federal Reserve notes, all hand-to-hand -hand money or deposit money is convertible at this fixed value to gold. What this does is it requires the Federal Reserve then, instead of having QE1, QE2, and buying $600 billion worth of Treasury bonds in the market in eight months, it requires the Federal Reserve to stabilize the value of the currency because when there is too much money in circulation at home and abroad, people and businesses can trade it in for its gold equivalent. Since the Federal Reserve by statute is pledged to maintain the stability of the dollar in terms of gold, it must then slow down the rate of, of growth of credit. What that does is it mitigates the inflationary booms or the deflationary booms. There is no perfect system. The gold standard is the least imperfect monetary system ever devised in human history. But those who argue for its perfection do make an error. So what would you like to see happen? First off, to make sure that we do have a sound and solid dollar. We hear from, from Geithner, we believe in a strong dollar policy, and yet, obviously, uh, there is an action to back that up. Well, I mean, I couldn't have said it better. Right. There is no action to back it up. On the contrary, the, the dollar has fallen to its lowest level since the end of the Second World War on a trade-weighted basis. So that, uh, yes, anybody can say words of that sort, as the Secretary does, but the facts bespeak a completely different policy. Here is the simple sequence. When the Federal Reserve buys $600 billion worth of Treasury securities to finance the deficit, at the same time, the Treasury does not produce new goods, new services, and new equities in that market interval when the Treasury is then spending the new money. So total money demand exceeds the total value supply at prevailing prices. 
prices then must rise. And we are, of course, off on the inflationary boom, even though the chairman of the Fed was worried about deflation just six months ago. So what are you worried about now? Where is this all going? The Fed supposedly getting out of the way in June. Do you think we'll see QE3? I, I have to doubt that we would uh, see QE3, but in principle, there is nothing to, uh, to uh, restrain the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve uh, System from implementing QE3 if, in their judgment, full discretion, unrestrained, without any institutional arrangement to stop them. There's no question, but they have the power to do this, and they've shown they're prepared to do this in sequence. By the way, the Fed has been monetizing tre Treasury securities long before QE1 and QE2, uh, and they monetized them very aggressively after the, uh, the collapse in 2008. A panic, by the way, and an inflationary bust, which they had caused to begin with. Where are we in terms of an economic recovery today, in your view, and is there any reason to believe that, in fact, we will move forward to a gold standard. Well, as an you know, as a businessman and investor, um, I I have to play with play the cards that are dealt me. So we live in the world of today, and my view is that under the present circumstances, we might have economic growth this year, actually higher than the consensus, um, and not only higher than the consensus, but in, if there is no great oil spike or if there's no greater tragedy in Japan, we could see uh, economic growth of about 4% with, of course, what we've seen is a, a rising rate of inflation. And one of the problems with that is that inflation always creates euphoria in the investor class, the speculator class, and I might add businesses that are benefited by the early stages of inflation and early growth. Lou, good to have you on the program. Thank you. We so appreciate your time today. Lou Lerman joining us on Gold, Dollar, and this economic environment. Welcome, Mr. Lerman, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. We just listened, our listeners just listened to an interview you did on CNBC with Maria Bartiromo back in March of this year. I have some questions that flow from that interview, including the one you didn't have time to answer, which had to do with whether you think we will go back onto a gold standard, and if so, how would that be implemented? But before we get to that question, I would like to ask you about your experience as a member of President Reagan's Gold Commission, which I believe was put together soon after Mr. Reagan assumed the presidency. If memory serves me correctly, you and Ron Paul were the only two members of that commission who suggested we should go back on a gold standard. Is that correct? That is correct. Who were some of the other members of that commission who voted against uh, going back on a gold standard, and, and what was their logic? There were... Um 22 members of the Gold Commission appointed by President Reagan. Um, Anna Schwartz, uh, Milton Friedman's uh, partner, um, and a floating exchange rate advocate. Mm -hmm. And um, along with Milton, um, both having a disdain for the only monetary system which has ever really worked in American history, uh, she was very much in control of the staffing operations of the Gold Commission. There were uh, several Federal Reserve uh, Board governors, uh, mostly conventional, but I might say distinguished academic ec uh, economists mm -hmm. on the board, um, several from uh, the prospective Reagan administration. And uh, actually, I had just come out of the final interviews um, for the uh, Treasury Secretary position, uh, and the three finalists were, as I uh, mentioned to you before, Walt Riston of Citicorp, uh, Don Regan of um, uh, Merrill Lynch. They were both sort of senior statesmen at the time, and I was a young buck in my 40s. And um, uh, I was not appointed, and I think uh, President Reagan at that time um, uh, thought me a good candidate for the, the Gold Commission. Uh, you're characterization of uh, uh, my partnership with Ron Paul is exactly right. All the other conventional economists said whatever uh, you now think is the conventional wisdom against the gold standard. I just it, It's a case of the more it changes, the more it is the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to repeat what they said. Not to mention there was a bad case of freedmania, so to speak, yes. among, among a lot of the uh, members. The Hoover Institution at that time was very, very significant. George Schultz, who was uh, Secretary of the uh, who was Secretary of State under Reagan and Milton Friedman were very crucial influences. Um, and they were also, you might say at that time, old men. And um, as sympathetic as uh, President Reagan was to the gold standard, 
uh, the Hoover Institution uh, floating exchange rate uh, crowd um, prevailed. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly did, and the conventional wisdom is still anti-gold, even though gold continues to rise in the marketplace, and obviously people are losing confidence in the dollar and in other paper currencies and moving towards gold. But I, I would like to ask you, can you speculate on what our economy might look like today had we actually followed your advice and Ron Paul's advice and returned to a gold standard, or at least an international gold standard, the likes of which President Nixon dismantled in 1971? What would our economy look like today if we had actually, in the 1980s, gone back onto a gold standard? I'll take each of the two uh, alternatives you mentioned, Jay. Mm-hmm. If we had gone back onto that form of the gold standard, which President Nixon terminated, I believe we would have had the, we would have had the same financial crises, uh, booms, panics, and bust, busts which were ca- which characterized the flawed Bretton Woods agreement. Mm-hmm. Because as you remember, Bretton Woods from 1944 to 1971, while it was better than the present system, uh, or I should, I should say, it was less imperfect than the present arrangements. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, um, it sanctified the U.S. dollar as the uh, monetary standard of the world, so that although there was this tenuous tie to gold, it was not a system based on a true gold standard. That is to say, unrestricted convertibility to gold domestically for citizens, uh, as well as externally for the uh, settlement of balance of payments deficits uh, in gold. Um, however, had, uh, as you uh, query, um, the uh, the monetary convertibility program that Ron Paul and I advocated been adopted, uh, A, there would never have been the vast secular trend toward insupportable levels of budget deficits in the government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, such, uh, no such trend could have occurred mm-hmm. under a regime uh, of the true gold standard in convertibility because as soon as the government and the Federal Reserve System or the banking system produced more dollars than people wanted to hold, they would be immediately in, in a position to go into their local bank and convert these excess dollars into gold, forcing the Federal Reserve and the banking system to contract the expansion of credit and not providing any further credit to the uh, federal government, which would have forced the, the, the government to reduce the level of spending. Mm-hmm. So that's just one aspect of it, uh, because uh, the, the true gold standard puts the control of the money supply, or I should say it takes it out of the hands of the commissars mm-hmm. at the Federal Reserve System, and it puts the control of the money supply in the hands of a democratic people. And that was, it was the true gold standard that uh, Ron Paul and I advocated, not any form of gold exchange standard, nor any form of uh, official foreign exchange reserves. Mm-hmm. Well, President Reagan was elected at the end of the decade of rising levels of inflation, which, as you pointed out in your interview with uh, Mrs. with Miss Bartiromo, was uh, dealt with effectively by Paul Volcker. Now, Milton Friedman uh, was a monetarist. He was, as you mentioned, not very keen or, or really had a disdain for the gold standard. Uh, but he did uh, argue that inflation of the 1970s was caused by excessive money creation by the Fed, Volcker was successful without a gold standard. Now, I'm playing the devil's advocate here, but isn't it possible that we don't really need a gold standard since Volcker was so successful in taming inflation and strengthening the dollar without it? Uh, I would like to say a word about uh, the so-called Volcker uh, monetary policy and mm-hmm. its uh, so-called success. Sure. I mean, I know Paul. I knew him well. I was there with him uh, during the hunt. Uh, financial crisis in the Fed in uh, in 1980 when the gold price peaked and the hunts went bankrupt. Sure. Um, so for him, I have the highest regard. But I do want to say something about the facts of history. Mm-hmm. We have this sort of um, um, a golden age idea about the uh, the Volcker um, monetary uh, period. Let me tell you exactly what happened, and you will remember it. Um, in order to get control of the inflation rate, Paul Volcker engineered a draconian contraction in, in domestic credit, uh, putting the inflation rate, for example, on Election Day in 1982 uh, at 11.2% in New York State, which has never been exceeded. And the national rate uh, on the uh, monthly intervals 
was close to 11% in many states, and I think averaged about 10.5%, much higher than the unemployment rate, even in this latest uh, financial uh, catastrophe, largely resulting from the same um, uh, monetary policies. Mm -hmm. So that um, it was a a disastrous period, in in the sense for the American middle class, the American working men, uh, small businesses went out of... um, uh, uh, went bankrupt in the hundreds of thousands, perhaps in the in a couple of millions. So um, while the, resu- the so-called long-term results um, um, were uh, favorable in the sense that gradually the inflation rate came down toward the late 1980s and remained fairly uh, low in the, in the 1990s, the wages of sin of a uh, of abandoning the true gold standard are that that is what has to be done in a pure credit-based, paper-based dollar system, which will invariably get out of control. And then you have to put the people through the ringer, which is yeah. what Volcker uh, did, uh, all respect for uh, the, the long-term results. What the true gold standard does is it modulates these kind of uh, these cataclysmic uh, uh, booms and inflation booms, mm-hmm. and then, of course, the busts engineered by it. Um, a, a, a Federal Reserve chairman like Volcker who's determined to lower inflation rates from the 15% it reached in 1980. What we want is an economic system. We want the least imperfect monetary standard because, you know, in human affairs, nothing is perfect. And what the true gold standard does in causing all debts to be settled promptly, both public and private, the balance of payments deficits, to be in uh, equilibrium, Debts do not accumulate. Leverage does not accumulate. Mm-hmm. Catastrophic collapses of the banking system, the financial system, like 2007 and 28, do not develop. Yes, you do have variations in the level of business activity in the business cycle, but they are modulated, and there is something that do not put the working man, you know, in tens of millions on the street. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because it seems to me that one of the reasons, one of the excuses for the creation of the Federal Reserve was to be able to provide credit to even out the business cycles, to even out these these uh, excessive uh, expansion contraction periods of time. But in fact, we've had bigger ones. It seems to be the 1930s was at least as big as anything prior to the 1913 when the Fed came into existence. And then we look at the enormous, let's say, malinvestment or bubbles that occurred. It seems to me we're hearing about bubbles all the time. There's speculation, is this in a bubble, is that in a bubble? We had the the tech bubble. We had, the, of course, the housing bubble, which is you know a huge problem that we're still uh, continuing to uh, to experience the, the the pain from. But are you saying that uh, that in fact, if we weren't on a gold standard, we wouldn't have these excessive expansion contraction periods, these euphor- periods of euphoria and followed by depression? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Now uh, the. <clears throat> there is only one form of a true gold standard, uh, which leads to uh, permutations, of course, uh, in the development uh, of economies, depending upon the way in which the factors of production, you know, people and land and natural resources and capital are mobilized. I mean, it's simply not going to be the same in Tanzania as it is, let us say, in a properly functioning uh, free free market. But uh, the, the form of the true gold standard that Ron Paul and I do advocate um, necessarily uh, um, um, modulates the enormous uh, extremes of a paper credit money-based system. And the simple reason uh, is that the source of inflation is always the general government. Without convertibility, the general government, uh, I should say the, the U.S. national government, mm-hmm. uh, among others, the Europeans as well, they sell their government. Uh, the government is, is in deficit. Why is it in, always in deficit and enlarging deficit? Because the government is uh, permitted to sell its bonds without limit to the credit-creating system of the central bank or the commercial mm-hmm. banks. Mm-hmm. And that takes all their bonds off the market and thus the effects do not show up in the in the level of interest rates where they required to sell their bonds to savers, that is to say, authentic savers. So with new credit, uh, unlimited in its availability, with no restraint because of gold convertibility, the level of government spending uh, rises uh, uh, to uh, uh, insupportable levels mm-hmm. and ultimately producing um, the credit expansion in the private sector and the kind of 
panics, busts, and unemployments as we experienced in 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly some people, some classes, though, benefit from this credit creation. Certainly we've seen, uh, we've had Howard Davidowitz on this show, a retail analyst who's looked at the retail sectors. He shows how the top-level stores are doing extremely well and how the dollar stores at the very bottom are doing very well. Middle-income people are being hollowed out. He says the the, uh, the middle, you know, the middle of our society, essentially the average people. He says 80% of Americans are losing their purchasing power. 20% are doing as well or better. Uh, it seems to me that the financial sector has fared very, very well. Are they the constituency for this fiat money, this uh, this lack of discipline in the gold in the gold standard, and and might also another constituency be the government and say the military industrial complex or other government expenditure um, um, groups? Right on all three counts. I mean, Howard is exactly right, uh, and the. Um the, um, the points you've just made, uh, I, I, I too uh, agree with. There is a um, identifiable class that benefits very substantially from uh, a paper credit system without a convertibility to gold, and that is the financial class. And in particular, it is the bankers and the, their speculator clients, which receive almost free money. Well, in many cases, free money from the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. And with it, of course, instead of um, investing it in the building of factories and plants and employing people, they speculate in both the volatile as well as the liquid instruments of commodities, uh, equities, um, uh, let's say, triple B uh, securities, which, mm -hmm. which uh, are floated ever higher on new money issued by the Federal Reserve. So there's no question but that what's happened uh, ever since 1913, uh, uh, 1914, uh, as the Federal, Federal Reserve System was constantly uh, altered by uh, law to finance the government and the, the banker class, you have uh, a great division in those who are benefit from the, from the existing derangement of the monetary system. Mm -hmm. So there is a, so there is a, uh, there are some classes of people who definitely don't want to see this system go back, um, obviously to, uh, uh, to some more of a egalitarian system of, of a gold standard. Uh, one question that Maria Bard Romo asked that you didn't have time to answer was, do you think we can really go back on a gold standard? And in answer to that same question a few days ago, Bloomberg to, on Bloomberg Television, James Grant said the following, and I quote: "We have a saying in Brooklyn." This is not a threat. This is not a promise. It's going to happen, end of quote. What do you think the odds are that we will come to some sort of a gold standard in our future? I prefer to say we are going forward to the gold standard. Okay. And I also believe that we are, we are left with only one alternative to establish uh, uh, a stable dollar, uh, a stable monetary system, uh, and to eliminate all the privileged classes uh, namely the bankers and the speculators, mm -hmm. and provide credit uh, to those who are willing to deploy it to create employment and jobs for the, the middle class. So, yes, I believe that America is very close. Uh, it's hard to know whether it's uh, a year or five years, but I certainly believe that uh, uh, we have a modernized gold. We're going to be going forward to a modernized gold standard uh, in the near future, which will rule out the role of official reserve currencies and cause each national currency, uh, when it has imbalances abroad or imbalances internally, to be subject to the rule of unrestricted conversion to a specified weight unit of gold. Do you think this uh, conversion will be forced upon the United States by global interests, say the Chinese and others who are just sick of use, you know, of, of, of U.S. dollars and, and realizing that they are losing their value very rapidly? So do, you, so do you think this is going to be like a global movement towards a global return to, to a single uh, non-political currency, namely gold? Well, if you, uh, Jay, if you uh, get a good look at our um, global website, it's mm -hmm. called uh, thegoldstandardnow.org, mm -hmm. you, you will see there what I believe you already know, given fact you follow the issue very carefully that this is in fact a global movement mm -hmm. um, with a vast constituency worldwide 
that may not include the political elites in each country, but includes an ever-rising number of uh, uh, citizens, uh, both of influence and, uh, and working people, who just know that the world's monetary system, not to mention the U.S. dollar, um, is is defective. Yeah. And so I, uh, uh, you know, I, I believe that um, the external world cannot force anything on the United States. It's, um, we have a very supple democracy. We have a constitution in which the uh, Article One, Sections Eight and Ten. Um, make it clear that the constitutional monetary standard is uh, uh, a weight unit of precious, precious metal and primarily gold. Uh, we have a people who are increasingly aware that gold is the only way that, uh, that they could have a, a proper store of value during uh, a, a system run by the Federal Reserve System and the inflation it produces. So I believe that um, in one of our presidential elections, if not this one, perhaps the next one, there will be a candidate who will have informed himself to um, make the gold standard the monetary platform uh, of his campaign. There are those who may say, well, you, you expect too much of our politicians. On the contrary, in the, if you go back and read the Republican platform of 1980, which I did have a hand in um, uh, making recommend, recommendations, the uh, 1980 Republican platform does refer to a, a monetary standard of stable value. And uh, the gold standard was debated in the uh, platform committee hearings of that day, of which I was a member. So, yes, it's a long time ago, but uh, to me it is a proof that uh, the American people and uh, certain party leaders, political leaders, will become aware of the great groundswell for abolishing the role of the official reserve currency, the dollar, and um, and the unrestrained credit-creating capability of the Federal Reserve, and going forward to the gold standard. Mm -hmm. The U.S. is supposed to have a huge supply of gold, although it has not been audited uh, since the Eisenhower administration. The gold antitrust action folks provide, in my view, some serious questions about how much gold the U.S government actually still holds or how much it owns. GATA provides some evidence that it's, uh, I, I think it is credible, uh, that suggests a considerable amount of it may have been swapped out to other countries so that even if it still does exist in New York, uh, uh, at the West Point or at Fort Knox, it may not belong to the United States. Do you have any thoughts about whether or not the U.S. gold uh, is all there, the gold that is supposed to be there is there? Do you have any, any sense of that? Well, I, I know the same um, sources uh, which you quote. Uh, they're very serious people. Um, I believe the evidence is not yet incontrovertible that mm -hmm. uh, the store of gold, approximately 250 million odd ounces, is, uh, has in any way been uh, diminished by illegal um, uh, or conspiratorial actions by uh, government authorities. However, uh, knowing the way in which the Federal Reserve conducts their swap operations where they extend the credit of American citizens to the most irresponsible governments all over the world during moments of crisis, mm -hmm. it is plausible that uh, there may have been gold swaps. Mm -hmm. Now, if they were gold swaps, that would mean that we still uh, own the gold mm -hmm. and that it is security for the borrowing of American dollars in the market, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which means that any... Um, any uh, executive authority uh, could uh, recall the gold uh, uh, and insist upon uh, repayment. Mm -hmm. So that's about as much as I have confidence in, in this great debate. Sure, of course, whether or not the gold could be returned would be another question then by those. By the well, you raise the issue of gunboat diplomacy. I mean, look, this is a debt. Uh, if, if there is such a thing as a gold swap that exists, mm -hmm. that has been extended by the U.S. Treasury since they have... Uh, the sort of fee simple ab absolute ownership mm -hmm. of the gold itself, uh, represented by the gold certificates on the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve. If the swap has been made, that is gold that belongs to us. And we have all the authority to enforce that, uh, A, in the courts, and then B, by all other necessary means. Mm -hmm. Well, I would think that's uh, uh, an issue. I know that I believe that Ron Paul has called for an audit of the gold that we own, and I think that's important because if we are going to go back on a gold standard, I would like to know that my country has enough gold to back up my currency so that maybe, you know, maybe we will have a currency of, of some strength. 
uh, do you agree that that's an important issue in terms of, you know, do we really have the gold? Um, it's an important issue, and would you be in favor also of, of a gold audit? Uh, of course. You know, Ron, Ron has been such a heroic uh, a leader of this uh, campaign to get not only the Federal Reserve System itself, but the the gold inventory of our country audited uh, with the kind of certification that we expect from the highest quality, quality U.S. companies, that all I can do is um, say, you know, we ought to be building a statue to Ron, Ron Paul uh, for this campaign alone. Uh, I, I, I endorse it. I think, Jay, that um, I would look, go a little further. I think it's time for the United States government to start gradually accumulating uh, the gold reserve in anticipation of going forward to the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Well, indeed, the Chinese would seem to be doing that, encouraging their population to own gold, where here it's still sort of seen to be or presented to be an unpatriotic thing to own gold. You're, you're losing confidence in the dollar. You should have confidence in your country and in your, in your leaders and your currency. And, um, you know, so it seems to me that the propaganda is actually still at least mildly anti-gold uh, in this country. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. Merex Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merex's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ten gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. .sandgold.ca Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, interview with uh, Lewis Lehrman. Uh, certainly, it was an upbeat interview. Uh, Mr. Lehrman has told me since that interview uh, that he's in this uh, to win it, not just to play a game. He really does want us to go back onto some sort of honest monetary system that would uh, that would be backed by gold and or silver. I think his preference is gold for sure. And you know, those of you who heard the entire interview would have heard me ask him what would have happened 
if our government had uh, had gone along with uh, with his recommendation and Ron Paul's recommendation to go back on a gold standard, what would we be looking at? What would our economy be looking at looking like now? And if you heard what he said, he said, well, he's quite sure we wouldn't be having any sort of discussions uh, about the uh, lifting the, the debt ceiling as we are right now. Well, I'm really glad to have with me Jeff Dice. He's Ron Paul's chief of staff. Ron, of course, was one of two members of that 22-member commission to suggest that we should go back onto a gold standard. Uh, so, Jeff, welcome. Jay, thanks. And, you know, your listeners, i got to tell you, that was really a treat hearing Lou Lehrman uh, lay things out so eloquently. And, you know, Mr. Lehrman and Ron wrote a book uh, called The Case for Gold, which is their minority report that came out of that 1982 Gold Commission. Oh, well, where can our our listeners get that book? Is it still available? If they want to stop by our office here in D.C. sometime, we'll give you one. But it's a tiny little paperback. I know the Mises Institute sells Mm -hmm. it. I know that Laissez-Faire Books sells it. And it's got to be something like $5 or less. Oh, well, it's it's a must-have. I might mention to our listeners that Lou Lehrman will be back on with us next week. I had probably an hour conversation with Lewis Saturday morning, and we taped 45 minutes of it. It was just too much uh, to get all into one show. So Lou is going to be back to talk about a number of very important topics next week, so you won't want to miss that. Well, Jeff... Um, you know, we we didn't go back on a gold standard, obviously, and that has meant that we could that the government could go out and the United States government, at least, backed by its weapons and all its might, could at least for a period of time issue unlimited amounts of debt, which it could then use to finance wars and expansion of our uh, of our empire. It could use it to for all kinds of manners of corporate socialism and for uh, socialism in general. Uh, and so we have one heck of a mess down there in Washington right now. Can you summarize for our listeners what's going on politically? What games are being played by, bo- by both sides, the Democrats and the Republicans? Well, from a political perspective, it's what you might expect. Both sides are feverishly trying to use this nonsensical August 2nd deadline to their advantage. Uh, what we've really seen is that the debt markets are not all that spooked. Uh, by this possibility of default. Anybody who thinks that America has a AAA gold-plated credit rating has not been paying attention. And believe you me, our Asian creditors are not that stupid. They understand our political and and fiscal situation. So we already have less than perfect credit. Let's right, Jeff, if, my, if I might just interrupt you for a second, it seems to me that the Chinese have their own credit rating agency, and they downgraded American credit. This is going back maybe two, three months ago. Of so course. you're right, the, the Asians and others around the world, and quite frankly, Americans that think for themselves, know we're not a AAA-rated credit. Of course, and look, from the Democrat side of the aisle, there's nothing they would cut. They don't see a problem they think that we can continue to borrow money as needed, and, and they, they literally would stick their heads in the sand. They, they, m- most Democrats in Washington literally don't think there's a problem, a mm-hmm. spending or a debt problem. Mm-hmm. But most Republicans, you know, they have a better understanding of it, but they really only think of it in political terms. Yeah. Um, if, if somehow next year we were going to spend, you know, $3.5 trillion, and you know, and magically we were going to have $3.5 trillion in revenue for a balanced budget. The Republicans in the House and the Senate, they'd have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they love big government when it comes to the programs they favor, when it comes to the departments they favor, the agencies they favor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this is just a political opportunity, uh, you know. And look, this debt ceiling has been raised dozens and dozens and dozens of times over the past uh, 20 years. It, it'll get raised again. And uh, the spending cuts that they're talking about in return are, are pretty meaningless. I mean, you're talking about cutting a, a couple of trillion dollars, Jay, over yeah. 10 years. That's an average of, what, $200 billion a year. Our, yeah. our, our single-year deficits are $1.5 trillion in the, in, the, in the immediate future. So right. th- these cuts are window dressing, and they don't represent the kind of restructuring because neither side – wants to talk about what it would really take. And what it would really take would be a wholesale reassessment of our foreign policy and defense spending, a wholesale reassessment of Medicare spending, and a wholesale reassessment of Social Security spending. And those are the death knell of any uh, would-be politician. 
Well, how's it going to come out? Ultimately, Jeff, this cannot go on forever. The markets are getting queasy. We talked earlier today, uh, I mentioned to Mr. Salente about some things going on with Iran uh, and China. We've, uh, I guess, placed sanctions against payments to Iran, and the Chinese need that oil from Iran. The Chinese are saying, well, the heck with the United States dollar. We're going to barter. So apparently there's an arrangement between Iran and, uh, and China to barter for oil. Uh, how long can this go on if the rest of the world is saying, you know, we're sick of the dollar, we don't really want to own it, and you won't even let us use the dollars to buy use valuable things? How is this going to come out? How long can it go on? Well, it's going to come out, I think, by letting foreign countries buy oil using something other than U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. And that's why the U.S. really has been uh, rattling its saber at Iran mm-hmm. over the past couple of years because Iran has threatened to open an oil bourse priced in euro. Right. Um, and, and the United States can't have that. That's really what's keeping us as the, as the de facto reserve currency is the fact that everybody on earth needs oil. And, and essentially, to buy oil in 2011, you still need U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that's not going to continue. Um, you, you know, what's really helping us here is that, that Europe is a basket case. The, the euro is, is its own set of problems. And, uh, you know, the Chinese have many, many fundamental structural problems. There's no way they're going to grow the way they have been. Um, the, the Indians might be the uh, sort of the dark horse here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let's not forget about the Russians and the Brazilians who have a focus on hard assets. Heck, the Canadians, for that matter. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, the world's going to come together, and they're going to say to themselves, you know, this, this U.S. dollar is not working out for us. And uh, they're going to they're gonna start dealing with each other using some other currency. Mm-hmm. Well, we've had uh, John Perkins on this show, and he suggested that one of the reasons we went to war against Saddam, uh, Saddam Hussein was that he insisted on getting paid in euros instead of U.S. dollars. Certainly, Iraq is one thing, but China, taking on China to try to enforce a dollar, uh, international dollar currency policy might be a little more difficult, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. The Chinese understand our weakness. We, we did, we've made ourselves weak by being addicted to spending more than we bring in. And for all the chest thumping, um, we're not going to do anything in the Strait of Taiwan. Um, They're going to ultimately control Taiwan, and we're going to accept it because uh, we don't have any leverage. They're our creditors. Well, I think, Jeff, when we talk about barter, there's nothing that's more natural for barter. And, in fact, one of the reasons that gold has been money is that it is an ideal store of value and a barter instrument. Do you see this as a possibility? We had, uh, you know, we had Lewis Lehrman suggesting that we're, you know, he thinks we have a good chance of going back onto an honest monetary s- uh, standard. Uh, James Grant said on recently on Bloomberg Television that uh, it's not a threat, it's not a promise, it's going to happen. We're going to go back on a gold standard. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think there's some hope for that? Because honestly, Jeff, what I see is a self-destructing nation that has been in play now for several decades because we've had this fantasy that we can have we can have our cake and eat it too. We don't have to save. We don't have to work. We can just print dollars and live high on the hog. Do you think there's a possibility that things are coming together for the better here? I hope so. I think there's a possibility at the national level, and, and if that day ever comes, as, as Lewis Lehrman suggested, there damn well better be a statue of, uh, of Ron Paul somewhere in, the, in this country. Uh, yeah. But, you know, look, when, if we have an Argentinian-type situation, the currency devolves, then people are going to look to barter and other methods, and they're going to want something that they can trust, and that mm-hmm. you know, could be gold and silver coins. It could be something else. But um, clearly the dollar, as, as currently constituted, is not going to work. Mm-hmm. And the question is going to be whether we come together as a nation and say, okay, we do need a national currency, but it's got to be backed by something, whether that's gold or another commodity or a basket of commodities. Uh, if we don't come together as a nation, then uh, you know, we might have a, a long period of, uh, of depression in this country where where uh, people have to use something else for currency. Right. Well, let's let's hope for the better. And also, uh, I think people need, if they're educated and they know where they can go, certainly your boss, Ron Paul, Lou Lehrman, there's a lot of people out there that want to see good things happening, want to see a, a return to honest money. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left, and I've got to get Roger Wiegand in here for a minute or two. But is, uh, is Ron, does he have anything coming up on in the Fed hearings uh, that he's holding? Well, he had a great hearing today with Thomas Honig, who is the soon 
soon to be retiring uh, chairman of the Kansas City Fed Bank. Um, he's Mr. Honig sits on the o- Open Market Committee, and he was one of the few uh, members to be to vote against the QE2 stimulus. Yeah. Um, and so we got a Fed perspective. Well, they did discuss uh, Mises and the, the Austrian business cycle, and and uh, you know, so we had a Fed economist uh, acknowledging the wisdom of of the Austrian school and everything. But certainly, Mr. Honig would not go as far as Ron in that he still believes that there's a, a place for the Fed to, to determine interest rates right. and to, uh, to uh, determine the money supply. Well, that could be some progress, one small step, perhaps. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to uh, bring in Roger Wiegand. Roger, welcome. Roger, are you there? Roger's not there. Okay. Uh, okay, so, so uh, Mr. Honing, and uh, very interesting. So, uh, and, and coming up next, Jeff, is there something, something else Ron has planned for his committee meeting? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to keep going through the, the uh, documents we've gotten from the Fed relating to the bailout period, uh, you know, the lay, uh, surrounding the Lehman collapse in 08. Yeah. And uh, we've gotten a scattershot of documents that were required to be produced by the uh, Dodd-Frank bill. We've gotten some other documents, uh, thanks to the efforts of the uh, Bloomberg Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. Um, they're woefully inadequate, and I think uh, hopefully by, before the end of the year here, we're going to Congressman Paul's going to have an opportunity to to hold a hearing on uh, and uh, call call to the carpet some Fed officials on what we would see as the sort of the the inadequacies of uh, of their reporting to us. Fantastic, Jeff. That's all the time we've got. Unfortunately, we could go on for a long time. We'll have you back again sometime very soon. Folks, uh, next week we have Louis Lehrman returning and also Carmen Alexei. She's that competitive swimmer from Romania who escaped to freedom uh, by going into Italy, came to the United States, and now she's concerned about the direction our country is taking away from freedom, away from free market economics. Louis Lehrman, Carmen Alexei. Uh, come back next week to hear them both. In closing, I want to thank the staff at Voice America, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America business channel. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real.